Looking for a unique gift? A new piece of art for your collection? Or a signed copy of my book? Head on over to FelixEddy.com. That's www.felixeddy.com. Thank you. Hi. My name is David McLean, and this is my podcast, The Time Traveler's News and World Report. This podcast is meant to be sequential. This is episode 11. Probably going to start somewhere around episode 1. In today's episode, we're going to learn a little bit more about the relationship between Alice Anderson and Keith Quick. We're going to meet one of my heroes. I'd just like to say thanks for listening. I hope you have a good time. If you want to subscribe and leave a review, that's great. But I'm really just here to have some fun. I hope you are too. Anyway, thanks for listening. The news is next. Hi, you're listening to WXYZ live from the island of Santiambo, and this is the Time Traveler's News and World Report. Time traveling news and information for the discerning time traveler from any timeline. I'm Fergus McCartney. Today's approximate aggregate date is the 7th of September, 3202. Today is Unconventional National Robotics Day. Personally, I'm hoping to get one with a liver. Now here's the post-apocalyptic report. The Santiago Church of the Second Coming is holding a chicken pot pie fundraiser on Friday night. They are asking that anyone interested in coming please park in the church antigraph parking lot and please don't point out that it's been 3,000 years, the entire world is sunk, and the Messiah still hasn't shown up yet. A pod of sentient dolphins in Santiago Bay has apparently been teaching themselves English. They speak with a heavy accent and have sent a message to local fishermen, give us the tuna, you bastards. Last month's game of full-contact tiddlywinks between the Australian 1948 cricket team and the 1969 New York Mets ended in a negative one to negative one draw. Both teams lost a point when a brawl broke out in the first innings. Ice cream privileges at Don Giovanni's Devilly Delicious Ice Cream Bar were revoked. That's the post-apocalyptic report for this morning. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And now, the infinitely spiraling clock. The continuing story of one man lost in time. asked. Alice Anderson stared up at the young man. Goodness, he was young. 
Looking at him standing next to the biplane, she was overwhelmed by the sense of irony that seemed to be causing her own world to collapse in around her. I don't think so, Keith said. I'd like to think I'd remember the two of you. You do cut a fairly striking figure. He gave the biplane a friendly pat, like it was a Labrador. I'm Keith. I was only getting her out of the way, I swear, but she started bucking like a Bronco. I figured that I, as long as I was in for a... What's that expression you Brits use, in for a penny? In for a pound, Alice finished for him. That's the one, Keith said. Anyway, my tools were out here, so I taxied over and got to work. The closest distance between two points, Spring whispered in her ear. Shh, Alice chided. The first piston was sticking, Keith said. I cleaned it out. It should be fine now. You need to change your oil more often. I'll remember that, Alice said. During the time Alice Anderson had known Keith Quick, he had usually favored wearing a leather pilot's cap and goggles, a practical if somewhat dated piece of headgear. Today he was hat-free and his brown hair was blowing in the wind. His face was a little less full than she remembered, and the ever-present spring in his step seemed a little more spontaneous and a little less mannered. Alice was surprised. He was obnoxiously handsome. She had never thought of him that way before. Well, that wasn't true. She had thought he was handsome, but there was so much going on in their lives that she hadn't really been able to focus on that sort of thing. Now, with him standing right in front of her without a care in the world, her focus seemed to shift. Hello, Alice said blankly. I'm spring. Spring said, smiling brightly. She cocked her head at Alice. In a moment, she's going to remember her name and tell you that she's Alice Anderson. Alice Anderson? Keith repeated. I suppose that will be easy to remember. Did you fall down the rabbit hole, Alice? Alice smiled. You should meet my sister, Wendy. Keith quick smiled and then he grinned and then he smiled again. Well, your plane should be all set now. Are the two of you planning on heading out somewhere today? I hear that the weather on Catalina is great. We're not looking to head to Catalina, Alice said. We're, we're off to look for an old friend. This last bit involved a bit of quick thinking on Alice's part, as technically the old friend was right in front of her. However, since this was a younger model, he did feel very different. Of course, the last time she saw him, he appeared to be plunging to his death, and in general, their relationship had involved a lot of running full tilt from one crisis to the next. So the suggestion that they were old friends should really come with a caveat or two. Alice didn't know what to say, and she desperately wanted to say something. Fortunately, Keith Quick did the work for her. Are you barnstormers? he asked, ignoring what Alice had just said. No, Alice replied, doing her best to sound as though this was the sort of thing that she talked about all the time. Well, the two of you seem to be far too beautiful to be smuggling reefer up from Mexico, so I'll have to assume that you're telling me the truth, which is undoubtedly a strange turn of events, 
Who is this friend of yours? Did you try looking for him somewhere earthbound? He's someone who I've been through a lot with. I don't know where in the world he is. Up until now, I didn't really expect to find him in Los Angeles. I just knew someone here who I thought might be of help. Have you thought about checking the local bar? Keith asked. Alice stared at him blankly. Keith looked at her and smiled openly. I fixed your plane, he said plainly. The least you can do is buy me a drink. Alice stole a glance at Spring, who was trying to suppress a giggle. We really need to get cracking, Alice said. It's difficult to explain, but you can believe me when I tell you that my friend is truly lost. Well, Keith said, shrugging, good luck finding him, whoever he is. You've narrowed his location down to somewhere on planet Earth? I don't know if you were planning on working from the top down, but you should probably skip the North Pole. Do you need any help getting the plane back to the runway? Alice stared down at the flat strip of asphalt. She looked at Spring, desperate for help. Spring was doing everything she could to avoid laughing. Ah, uh, I suppose, Alice stammered. I, I suppose the local pub is as good a place to look as any. You know, Spring added, I, I, I was thinking of meeting up with the Fergus the driver, double-checking on that whole made of iron concept. Just so we're clear, Alice said, looking at Keith. If we run into my friend, it may be awkward. Keith nodded. I'm okay with that, he said sheepishly which was how Alice and Keith ended up going on their very first date. The bar was not a time-traveler bar, which had its advantages and disadvantages. Chief among the advantages was that no one was going to recognize who Alice was, and they could drink in peace, while the disadvantage was that the bartender was never going to make a Venusian sunrise, no matter how much time Alice spent trying to describe it to him. The bartender eventually was forced to acknowledge that he'd never even heard of mango liqueur and didn't have a pomegranate on hand, at which point Alice ordered a rum and coke. So, Keith lifted up his glass and looked around the room smugly. You see your friend? Alice shook her head. There are so many things wrong with that sentence. Keith quick smiled and he smirked and he smiled again. You never told me who it was you were looking for, exactly. Alice ignored this question and the inherent smugness in his tone. She remembered when they had met for the first time before, when Alice had been the one who knew nothing and Keith had been trying to explain to her everything that was about to happen. In retrospect, she hadn't appreciated what a difficult conversation it was to bring up. If she remembered right, Keith had dived in head first, which she supposed was brave. Maybe she needed to take control of the situation. To start with, Alice said firmly, we are not going to have sex. Not tonight, anyway. Keith swallowed his drink. My name is Alice Anderson, Alice said. Your name is Keith Quick. Right. Keith said, we actually did that part already. 
You're from Nebraska, your father is a lawyer, and your mother bakes pies, Alice said, recalling the details of a conversation that seemed like it had occurred a long time ago. There was a pause, and then a silence, and then a pause again. How? Keith asked. Do you know that? He was clearly surprised, and Alice couldn't blame him. The answer, of course, was that he told her. He just hadn't told her yet. Alice took another sip of her drink, trying to glance around the room casually to see if anyone was listening to her. You had a dream last night, she said matter-of-factly. You saw something in it, saw something that seemed incredibly real, something that you can't explain. There was another pause and a silence and a pause again. Alice wondered if Keith Quick was going to respond at all. I had a dream last night that I had a dinosaur as a pet. He was a little blue triceratops who made a funny barking noise whenever you scratched him. Some of the other details are a little hazy, but I can see him as clear as a bell. Alice laughed. Keith raised his eyebrows. I'm sorry, Alice said. I shouldn't have laughed. My life is very complicated and sometimes it's difficult to sort out. There are large parts of it I'm not going to be able to tell you about, not yet anyway. What I can tell you is that if you come with me, I can make your dreams come true. Keith took a sip of his drink. My dreams? he asked. Yes, Alice insisted. But we're not going to have a lot of sex, Keith reiterated. At least... Not tonight. Alice laughed again. Sorry to take the swagger out of your step, but no. Just so we're clear, you are probably going to meet a blue dinosaur first. Keith considered this. He said, If I come with you, he repeated, and Alice could tell that he was choosing his words carefully. Where are we going? First, we're off to see a wizard. Alice said, or at any rate, the next best thing. Keith nodded. I suppose if I was a wise man, I would tell you that the real magic in this world is in the things we make for ourselves, but have taken for granted for far too long, Keith said. But since I am lacking long gray hair and a white beard, I'll just ask, where do you find a wizard? Alice laughed. New York, she replied. Where else? Five balls above, demons below, I face my enemy. I will vanquish all before me, striking down all I see. I don't see a path to victory, but I'll find one somehow. I will fight until my last breath, and I'm still breathing now. Dragons, trolls, and hypocrites, I have faced all three. I didn't do it. The glory. I just wanted to be free. A breath.
depression is the one thing I never can allow. I will fight until my last breath. Still breathing now. I've always wanted a life of peace and harmony. homestead with a view of the sea but even if I put down my soul and I pick up a plow I will fight until my last breath and I'm still breathing Wizard. He was smaller than Alice expected with a boxer's build, not that you could see that underneath his tuxedo. He had an odd, intense expression like a man who was debating Winston Churchill. His hair was the most striking, a wild wavy mane that would have looked rebellious in almost any century. Everyone in the audience, including Alice Spring and Keith, had their eyes riveted on him. My interest in psychics began when my mother died. Harry Houdini's voice rang out over the audience like a church bell. The pain I felt at losing her was unbelievable. I was spiraling out of control, unwinding like a thread. I was so desperate that I turned to the darkest corners of black magic convinced that I could reach over to the other side and talk to her from beyond the grave. Alice swallowed. I have to confess, Houdini continued, in my ill-spent youth, I worked as a medium at a carnival. I wore a turban and styled myself as the mystic Swami from the lands of Persia. I read palms and occasionally stared into a crystal ball. Nothing I did was any more than a farce. This time I wanted to see the genuine article, so I consulted a medium named Madame Margaret, who was said to have journeyed farther into the world of the dead than any person alive. Madame Margaret's list of clients was the most prestigious group that I had ever been a part of. On the night I was in attendance, the madame was playing host to a Rockefeller, a Vanderbilt, 
a Harvard Law professor, and a former mayor of Boston. Like me, they were all looking for a message from the great beyond. The seance was to be done at midnight, naturally, but we all arrived early. Madame Margaret's assistant led us into a room at the back of her house, where there was a long, elegant dining table that we were told to sit down at. Although there was a beautiful chandelier, the room was lit by a solitary gas lamp, and the air felt cold and dreary. We sat down at the table and then waited, the Rockefeller taking the far end of the table. Five minutes went by, and then ten. In another time, we might have made pleasant conversation, but as it was, we all stood stock still. After fifteen of the longest minutes of my life, Madame Margaret entered the room. How old she was was difficult to tell. She might have been forty-five or fifty or sixty. She had flaming gold hair with a shock of white which cascaded down her shoulders in unending ringlets. She was dressed in her nightgown and was already in a trance when she came in. With some assistance, she sat at the end of the table, at which point we were told to join hands, which we did, although admittedly with a great deal of trepidation. Madame Margaret's eyes rolled back in her head, and when she spoke, her voice seemed to echo off the walls. I call upon the spirit world, she said. I call upon the shadows. I call them out of the darkness. I call them to us, the wanderers of the night. Come to our table, for we have business to attend to. No sooner had she spoken than the gaslight went out. In the darkness, the table seemed to lift several inches off the ground and then dropped down suddenly. The whole room seemed to shake. Madame Margaret let out a scream, and there was the sound of breaking glass. Houdini paused. Out in the audience, no one drew a breath. The gas lamp was relit, Houdini continued, and the light came on. The chandelier was vastly lower. At this point, the madame took questions. To the Vanderbilt, she said that his mother would want him to devote more of his fortune to charity. To the former mayor, she suggested that his deceased father would have been proud of him and that he should let his grandchildren follow him into politics. The Harvard Law professor was informed that his wife looked back on their years together with fondness and she wished him all the best. To the Rockefeller, she went into great detail about his daughter Jane. She said that while her passing was a tragedy, she had suffered very little and she was at peace now. The man who had killed her was a tall man with a bristly mustache and a bowler hat. She said she had met him outside the Imperial Theater in San Francisco. We were all quite shocked by this. What about you? Someone from the crowd shouted out. I was just getting to that, Houdini shouted back as a ripple of laughter fluttered through the room. Madame Margaret told me that my sister had gone to a better place and that she was happy for me. There was just one problem with that idea. My sister doesn't actually exist. She's a figment of my imagination, no more able to reach out to me from the great beyond than the ghost of Christmas past. Madame Margaret would have known this, of course, 
if she wasn't a complete fraud? Houdini paused and swallowed hard. It seemed like this next part was hard for him. It is true. I lost my mother a few years ago, Houdini said in a soft voice. I would do anything to get her back. But I would rather live with the sorrow of losing her than believe in the lie that she isn't really gone. When I met Madame Margaret, I sensed that I was being played for a sucker. So I made up a test to see if she was the real thing. She failed. There was a murmur among the crowd. Alice leaned over and squeezed Keith's hand. The funny thing about being a Rockefeller, Houdini continued, everybody's heard of them, but would you recognize one if you saw one? Could you tell the difference between a man claiming to be Nelson Rockefeller III and a well-dressed middle-aged man being paid to play a millionaire at a party? Most people can't, and Madame Margaret knew it. After the seance, I followed the man claiming to be part of the richest family in America, and I discovered that he was living a surprisingly frugal lifestyle. He was what's known in my business as a plant, a man who's in on the fix. He was there to make Madame Margaret seem legitimate, more like a professional and less like someone working in a tent at a carnival sideshow. He sat at the table opposite from Madame Margaret so that the two of them could lift up the table using their knees. That was why Madame Margaret was able to give him such shocking and specific information about his dearly departed. She could be specific because there was no way he was going to say it was wrong. It made all the other stories seem credible. The lamp was turned off by an assistant shutting off the gas valve, probably the same person who broke the glass in the other room. It was such an impressive display that none of the paying customers seemed to notice that the advice they were being given largely consisted of rhetorical flourishes with perhaps a little bit of last month's obituaries thrown in for good measure. Madame Margaret was no more in touch with the dead than I am. She was just a performer, a woman who was taking people's money and replacing their memories of their loved ones with a lie about how they are not really gone. I made my wife a promise that night. I am the greatest escape artist in the world. If anyone can figure out how to escape death, it would be me. When I die, if it's possible, I will pull off the ultimate escape and come back from the dead. Of course, we're not going to do that tonight. Thank you. The audience erupted into thunderous applause. Harry Houdini bowed and left the stage. They had traveled from California to New York to see Houdini and rolled back a decade on the clock and no one involved had minded. They had come in a pair of airplanes. Keith had flown a French S-Pad S-13 alongside Alice's Sopwith Camel. That this was Alice's plane was now strange. It had belonged to Keith when Alice had met them. Now it belonged to her when they had done it the other way. At some point they would have to get around to actually buying it, but that was another problem for another hour. Once airborne, Alice had opened a hole in time and space, and the pair of airplanes were sucked into another decade, spinning around the globe and landing at a time-traveler-friendly airport in New Jersey. 
The tickets to Houdini had been bought from a scalper who had charged the exorbitant sum of five whole dollars each, and Chalice had paid with the smug satisfaction of a woman who had once paid 200 quid for a pair of shoes. Keith had taken the idea of time travel much better than Alice had. Not being a scientist, he was much less of a skeptic. Still... Back outside on the streets of Broadway, he stared at everything with wide eyes. The sun had gone down by the time the show had ended, and the bright lights in Big City had come out in full force. Times Square was not the gaudy monstrosity that it would become in another era. The buildings were smaller and less obtrusive. The billboards advertising beauty products in department stores were flat and unmoving. They seemed quaint by comparison. Even the theater marquee seemed smaller, with the black lettering announcing Houdini's name in a manner that seemed much more suitable for a Humphrey Bogart movie than a Broadway playhouse. Even so, the overall look of everything was impressive. Alice had yet to get over the sheer spectacle of being in another era. Few time travelers ever really did. Keith was an unabashed tourist, and his expression didn't betray even the slightest bit of shame. Whether he was excited about his first trip through time or whether he was simply excited about being in New York, Alice couldn't say. Maybe he was just appreciating the sights of the city. My dad had a Model T when I was a kid, Keith said as a black Ford rolled down the street directly in front of them. It was a beat-up old jalopy. I remember it broke down on our trip to Kansas City. Dad had a devil of a time getting it running again. Spring was standing on his right side. For me, this is a future, she said, sounding so pleased that she was the experienced one for once. I was born over a century ago. I don't think I'll ever get used to automobiles. So, when were you born? Keith asked. During the Regency? A little before that, Spring replied proudly. Alice is from the proper future, though. Alice frowned. Not the flying car, men from Mars kind of future. Not yet, anyway. There are a few automobiles that don't run on petrol and some impressive-looking gadgets, though. Keith Quick turned around and stared at the marquee. I can't believe I just saw Harry Houdini, he said. He was my hero when I was a kid. Come to think of it, I'm a kid right now. We aren't just going to see him, Alice said firmly. We need to meet him. Let's find the stage door. A quick investigation led them down an alley where they found an unobtrusive black door sticking out of the side of the building. It was partially ajar, like it had been used by stagehands heading out for the night. Alice stepped up to knock on the door and then thought better of it and took a step back. He'll be out in just a moment, I'm sure. She mumbled somewhat awkwardly. You just want to wait for him to come out? Keith asked. I don't want to intrude, Alice said. I'm not sure that waiting in an alley and surprising him is any less intrusive, Keith pointed out. Spring wrinkled her nose. It might smell better inside, she reflected. It will only take a minute, insisted Alice. Think of it as one last time that Houdini is keeping us in suspense.
He nearly did a disappearing act when he came out. The man who opened the stage door looked less like a performer and more like an accountant. He was wearing a red tie and a charcoal business suit, and he had a bowler hat pulled down over his eyes. Under his left arm, he held a black umbrella, and in his right, he held a leather briefcase. He knows that if you see him walking down the street, you look at the accessories and he'll be gone before you ever realize it's him, Alice thought. It's the art of distraction, just like in his show. It was Keith who spoke up first. Mr. Houdini? Keith asked. Houdini tipped the bowler hat up with the end of his umbrella and smiled. Well, you can't blame me for trying, he said. Alice wondered if he took great pride in sneaking out of the theater undetected. She suspected that he probably did. However, having been caught, he seemed to enjoy being recognized as well. Do you want an autograph? No, Keith insisted. Well, yes, actually, but that isn't why we're here. We need your help. Let me guess. Houdini said, a smirk spreading across his face slowly. You want to know if I've ever seen real magic? That's right, Spring asked. How did you guess? It's the first question I'm asked by every stranger that I've ever met since I was 15 years old. <laughs> Houdini laughed. Alice could tell by the look on his face that he was telling the truth. There was a kind of pained joy in his eyes, like a man remembering the difficulties of his early years, to which he had since long grown accustomed. Well, have you, Spring asked hopefully, seen real magic? Houdini pulled a rose out of thin air and handed it to her. I have seen a great many things in my time, he said, his eyes dancing merrily. Things I wouldn't have believed when I was young. I was the first man to see the continent of Australia from the air. Did you know that? Keith. Keith, who again was not wearing his World War I flyer's cap, nodded vigorously. Nice, he said. It was, Houdini agreed, but it wasn't magic. It was the beauty of the real world. That's all. I suppose if I had been born in a simpler time... Things like automobiles and aeroplanes would seem like magic. But those sort of things always do when you see them for the first time. I saw a man disappear, Alice blurted out, right in front of me. He vanished into thin air. There wasn't a trap door or a puff of smoke or anything. He was just gone. Houdini shrugged. Then I have a competitor. Do you have any idea how such a thing could be done? No, Houdini admitted, but I enjoy not knowing. Everyone's life needs a little mystery. Alice was just about to say that this was one area of her life that definitely needed cleaning up when Houdini pulled a coin out of thin air, rolled it across the top of his knuckles, and then dropped it. It never hit the ground. I attended a scientific meeting a few months ago where the lecturer was introducing the work of a young scientist named Einstein. Have you ever heard of him? Yes, Alice said. 
The ramifications of his theories are fascinating. The idea that light and matter are the same thing. That's what strikes me as real magic, mostly because it's beyond my comprehension. It pained Alice slightly not to admit her background as an astrophysicist, but since this probably also involved admitting to her status as a time traveler, she kept her mouth shut. I hate to ask you, she pressed. It's just that the man who disappeared may have done terrible things. He may do more still. I thought if you could point me in the direction of how he did it, well... That would be something. It might help me to track him down. Houdini shrugged. Without seeing the trick, it's impossible for me to say. If you're asking me if what you saw was real magic, though, I would have to say no. Was it possible, though? Spring asked, a little hopefully. Whether or not things are impossible is really a question of faith, Houdini offered. And I'm afraid I have very little to offer. You never know, though. There is more to heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy. Hamlet, Spring remarked. Yes, I like that one. Impressive, Houdini said. Now, if you'll excuse me. Houdini opened up his umbrella. A pair of doves appeared out of nowhere and flew into the night sky. When Alice turned her head back to the spot where Houdini had been standing, he had disappeared. Spring put her arm around her friend and patted her on the shoulder. Well, it was worth a try, she said brightly. Keith Quick kicked the ground with his shoe. I didn't get an autograph, he mumbled. Alice knew that turning to Houdini for answers was the longest of long shots, but it was still disappointing. She simply didn't know what else to do. She needed to admit the truth to herself. She didn't know where Keith Quick had ended up. Then again, he was right next to her. The trio began walking west on 42nd Street. Alice couldn't help but notice the smell of automobiles. When you travel through time, conveyances tend to be the first thing your eye was drawn to. Most of the autos on the street were Model Ts, although occasionally an Oldsmobile rolled by. Alice couldn't help but admire the boxy little cars as they strolled down cobblestone streets, past the trolleys and apple carts, their drivers bare-knuckling the wheel as they reached the unknown speed of 20 kilometers an hour. It wasn't a convenient or comfortable way to travel, but it was pretty to look at. I wonder if that's all I've done, Alice thought, given us something pretty to admire. I've taken all of our lives and thrown them into a blender just so we could admire things the people made. So, Keith said, turning to look at Alice, I guess this didn't turn out the way you had hoped. There are certain faux pas that come when you are a time traveler. Not telling your friends and family about awful things in their future is definitely one of those topics of conversation that you want to avoid. Alice naturally hadn't told Keith that she saw him falling into a horrible black void, much less told him about her own role in that event. Instead, she focused on Moriarty. Still, 
She knew she had to pick her words carefully. No, she admitted. It hasn't turned out the way I hoped. I'm not sure that tracking someone down is really my line of work. I'm a physicist, not a private detective. The guy you were looking for, you said he was a friend, Keith observed. That's right, Alice acknowledged. I'm guessing that the person you asked Houdini about was someone else, seeing as you said he had done terrible things and can do more still. They are two different people, yes, Alice agreed. But I thought the one might lead me to the other. So who is this other guy? Keith asked. <sighs> Alice sighed. Moriarty, she said. Professor Moriarty. Keith raised his eyebrows. Holmes is going to be mad as hell, he observed. You don't know the half of it, Alice agreed. She explained how they had met Moriarty in their travels and how he had disappeared when they had confronted him. Alice skimped on the details of his real name and the fact that she had fancied him, mostly because the latter was embarrassing. Did Moriarty do anything else that seemed like it was magic? Keith asked. Astral projection, invisibility, card tricks? Alice shook her head. Not that I saw, she admitted. And you said he was a time traveler, right? Keith asked. I suppose he must have been, Alice said. He got to my era somehow. He was aware of our world and the people in it. Is it possible that his disappearing act was some sort of technology from the future? Keith asked. I've seen Buck Rogers movies. They've got ray guns and all kinds of things. Could it be something like that, maybe? Like a teleport, Alice surmised. As far as I know, it violates the laws of physics. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. And you met Moriarty when he was younger, Keith concluded, and presumably not a wizard. He was a sailor when I met him, Alice replied. After that, he went to college. Unless they started teaching conjuring at Cambridge, he probably learned magic after he left school. So he traveled through time, and he learned how to do magic, Keith surmised. Is it possible that those two things are related? Alice furrowed her brow. Related how? Keith Quick shrugged, and then he smirked, and then he shrugged again. Well, you say he learned magic. He must have learned it from someone. I mean, he didn't invent it, did he? No, Alice admitted. I suppose not. What Alice didn't say was, we're looking for you. We lost you. I lost you. It was my fault. You can be sure, though, that the words weren't far from her mind, as they would often be for the next few years. Alice looked up at the stars. Even in old New York, they were still pretty hard to see, but you could still make out a few twinkling above Broadway. Then she turned and looked at Keith. She could tell from the comical look on his face that he was enjoying the trip immensely. Do you want to go on another trip? she asked. For once, she made no attempt to hide the fact that she was staring straight at him. 
We could go someplace wonderful. Keith Quick smiled. Spring, however, raised an eyebrow. Perhaps you'd like to drop me off in Santiempo, Spring suggested. I have, um, reading to catch up on. Santiempo is exactly where we're headed, Alice said. She put a friendly arm around Keith. How would you like to make a visit to the Time Traveller's Resort and Museum? Hi. This is David McLean, the creator of this podcast. We've come to the end of another one. And once again, just thanks for listening. You know, I'm supposed to promote these kind of things, and I'm I'm terrible at promotion. I always feel like the least popular kid in the class trying to invite all the popular kids to his birthday party. But I only really need one listener, and that's you. So I just wanted to say thanks. If you want to leave a review and subscribe, that's great. But if you don't, that's fine too. So, next week, we may meet a dinosaur. I think that should be fun. And, well, we'll see what else happens. Do you ever have one of those moments where you realize suddenly how tired you are? The Infinitely Spiraling Clock is a sequel of sorts to a book I wrote called The Time Traveler's Resort and Museum. You heard me mention the title there at the end of the episode. If you're enjoying this, and I hope that you are, you might want to check it out. You can get it from my publisher, Mirror World. If you buy it from my publisher, my publisher makes most of the money, which is really fine. You can also get it from my wife's website, felixeddy.com. If you get it from felixeddy.com, then my wife gets most of the money, which is even finer. You can also get it from Amazon. If you get it from Amazon, then Jeff Bezos gets most of the money, which is not as fine. Jeff Bezos has a rocket. Get it from one of the other two. Just a little bit of advice from your friendly neighborhood writer. I thank you so much for your time. See you next week.